You're listening to the Batuta Advocates Weekly News Wrap on Desert Rock FM 96.5. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live from the Diamantina Shire. Today's guest, I guess we're going to claim him as a proud Queenslander. Mm. <laughs> he spent a lot of time in the southeast corner. He spent yep. a lot of time right around the country because he's one of those artists who who obviously does the work. He's a man of many names and a man of many lives. Uh, you might know him as Tex Deadly. You might know him as Gregory. We know him as Tex Perkins. Thank you for joining us today. You might even know him as Perko. Perko. <laughs> Perko. If you're on Perko basis with him, that is. <laughs> Tex, at the moment, you've, uh, you're have getting ready for a launch of the 30th anniversary of the landmark album, The Honeymoon Is Over. How's it looking? How's things? I think it's been launched. I think it. Uh, I'm not sure whether was, there was a countdown, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think it came out on Friday. So um, yes, it's uh, it's been set sail. It's the, off uh, and running, doing well. The campaign has been broken on the uh, on the hull of the ship. Beautiful. Do you, you you've surprised everyone with a um, previously unavailable uh, B side, or or some previously unavailable B sides anyway? Oh, I think they're all available. They were B sides on, you know, on s- singles. Right. But uh, but come to think of it, what I wonder what form singles took in those days. I guess it was the, the uh, very brief phenomena of CD singles. Yeah, <laughs> for them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that they were all B sides. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can't even call them B sides because there was. There's no flipping over CDs. No. So it was uh, the main tr- the main single track in. Uh, uh, one or two extra songs. So, uh, but yeah, they, they were all available. But, uh, but I guess they were uh, only available as a streaming thing. Uh, yeah, you've, till- you've compiled them all for us. Still, Tex, I want to talk about. I mean, it, it's been a it's been a lengthy career. Thirty years isn't even the start of it, really. Um, you, you've been around and you've been playing in different kind of um, imaginations, different incarnations mm-hmm. for you know for over thirty years. And we we actually forty. 40- 42. 42. Yeah. Jeez, you look good. Um, <laughs> yeah. We interviewed uh, Don Walker the other day, who's, you know, uh, been lucky enough to play with you over the years as well. I kind of want to go back to the start and and how you managed to forge this career. You have, you know, uh, before we even had the term, I guess, in the mainstream, there was before we had the term indie, you were doing that before the ARIA Awards, but you still managed to keep that kind of credential. You know, as they say in hip-hop, the hood still loves you. How did you uh, get started, and where were you? Was it a West End thing? No, no actually, no. Um, no what, the West End is the cool part of Brisbane now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And a few few people, you know, Vulture uh, Street, a few people spent a bit of time there making music. Well, uh, actually, it was Wool and Gabba that was significant, really, in my uh, early days with uh, with the band The Dum Dums, it was a place called the Wool and Gabba Blind Hall, which uh, like the gigs were very few and far between back there in, in Brisbane. So we just used to hire halls, and uh, right. the Blind Hall was uh, and put on gigs there ourselves. So uh, the Blind Hall was a semi regular one for us, and uh, a bunch of other bands of that time. Uh, there, was, there was a band called The Pits. There was a band called Pork, and yeah, there was us, the Dum Dums, and um, but uh, we were kind of unlike. And the, we only think the only thing we shared with those bands was, 
yeah, we shared nothing stylistically, but uh, I guess we were just uh, about the same age. And yeah, we're all uh, stuck in Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> we're all fighting the good fight in Brisbane, you know, uh, because, you know, to choose to make music, especially in those days, like late 70s, early 80s in Brisbane, and especially sort of, uh, you know, the, the kind of music we were making, you know, you were really, you know, sticking your neck out and um, and it often got kicked, you know. You know yeah. So um, the police, every, every time you actually left the house, you would have to expect you would be interacting with the police. The special branch, are we talking? They had, a, they had your number? No, it's just the, the usual cops, you know, like because Brisbane was pretty dead. Literally, when the sun went down, anybody on the streets was like, "What? What the hell are they doing there?" Yeah, you know, so it, yeah. it was like everyone would just go back to the suburbs, right? And uh, there wasn't a lot of the inner city wasn't really, you know, happening. Yeah, it, it would literally kind of sh- shut down, and like it was mainly, you know, suburban beer barns. You know, that was, you know, the that's where music, you know, took place. You know, bands like the Radiators. Yep. Yeah. You know, you know, would play, you know, there's this place called, near where I grew up, called the Homestead, yep. where I actually saw the radiators in 1980. I have to say it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen, mainly because the audience was just uh, absolutely wild. I was I was in there amongst it, but it was just insane, you know, and um, I can't believe we kind of got away with it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a pretty rough place and rough things were allowed to happen. So we're and, talking but, those kind of, those Mansfield taverns or those, uh, mm. Brisbane is a tavern town, you're right, and you're probably not getting those gigs outside of the Blind Hall in Wollongabba in the city. Yeah, well, well, they were, and back in those days, like Brisbane, somebody would, you know, start to put on music at, at some pub. It would last about two or three months till Granny complained. Yeah. And uh, and then the cops would just shut that shit down. Yeah. And um, and then yeah, you know, like, and then a few months later, someone else would give it a go, and the same thing would happen. So music, especially the type of music like alternative music or underground music, just was not welcome. So there was a bit of a light industrial edge. You kind of had to find a place, you know, not near anyone. Well, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's why the blind hall worked in Wollongabba because yeah, the, there was very few. It was a semi-industrial area, so there were very few neighbours that could complain. But, uh, but yeah, I, I even though it was pushing shit uphill, it, I really kind of have a fondness for that era. And uh, it's probably, I, I'm not sure how it is these days, but uh, I'm glad I kind of went through the uh, the do-it-yourself mm-hmm. era, you know, yeah. where you, you had to make things happen yourself rather than, you know. I mean, look, Melbourne is just like, you know, there's just gigs everywhere. Yeah. There's almost too many gigs. Every I mean, pub's got a sound guy. He, I, yeah, in Brisbane, you've got to learn that. I'll not have to hear a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the experience like then from going from Tavern Hall Brizzy down to Sydney and the pumping music scene? It was like I walked into swinging London or something. <laughs> it, it was like the contrast was so dramatic. Like, as I said, like being sort of slightly different in Brisbane, you were just a target, yeah. not only for the police, but the general population. Punks. Yeah, you know, you'd be you'd be yelled at and you know, things were thrown at you, you know, from passing cars and things like that. That was just that was an everyday thing you got used to. And then I went to Sydney and 
Nobody was spitting at me. No one was yelling at me. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a community of musicians that were working, and they were all great bands. And I know it was an absolute, um, you know, rebirth for me. Yeah, I mean, right. that's where my life began, really. And uh, in uh, 1982 in Sydney, and look, there was just great bands everywhere. The Johnnies were my friends. The Scientists were my friends. The Hooter Gurus, and, yep. and so uh, it was amazing. It was a uh, a fun time to be around Sydney. You just mentioned yeah. there that the experience of people throwing things at you. I remember hearing a story about how someone famously threw a bottle when you were up on stage, split you, and then you performed out the rest of the set with blood streaming down the face before heading off to an emergency room. Real, um, real hectic stuff. What do the shows that, look like that, now? Is that a myth? Is that is that the yarn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was one of the. That's on every. Surely that's on on every rock and roll singer's checklist. Yeah. Right. You, know. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a kind of, you know, Iggy Pop, you know, Jim Morrison kind of, you know, sort of, you know, to be bottled and, you know, but to, you know, and to be bleeding profusely mm, from the head. Sweat and blood running down. <laughs> and, I mean, luckily the wound, you know, wasn't huge, but it was, there was, because you so worked up and, you know, you the body temperature, mm. You know, elevated, the claret just pours out of you. Yeah. Just Did you see who got you? Do you remember? Do you remember no. where it came from? There were so many things being thrown, <laughs> but I did see that bottle coming. I saw it for the last two two seconds, <laughs> and I was a bit slow moving out of the way. But it clocked. You know, it came from about forty feet away, and I could just <laughs> boom. It's a pretty good throw from whoever it was <laughs> in the crowd. And it was in the take. So the funniest thing was like all sorts of shit was being thrown, but uh, and then Brian, the bass player, stepped up to the mic and said, "Stop throwing shit!" You know, and then I just I pushed him out of the way and said, "Yeah, don't throw shit at them. Throw it at me." <laughs> and like three, two, one, bang! <laughs> <laughs> it was the, I, I asked for it and I got it. <laughs> well, it's always good to have a show goes on moment like that, I guess. Oh. <laughs> You're going on tour again in July. Have the crowd still got it in them? When was the last time someone threw something at you? <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. And I, I say, it's a, it was on my rock and roll checklist, and there's no need to go there. Again. Yeah, yeah. You're not, and it's, <laughs> nowadays you're not breaking in crowds. You know, you've got fans coming to your shows, so it's not plugs. Yeah, that... <laughs> um, I think that was probably that was in the late '90s, and so it was probably the la the end of the kind of wild days. Yeah. Like especially for audiences. I mean. I'm, most of my audience is in their fifties now, so like, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, we we recover slower. Mm. So like, the shoulders actually can't throw it from forty feet away anymore. <laughs> so I want to talk about those wild days. I mean, we hear about pub rock, or we hear about punk in Australia, and we hear about those wild days. You know, Robert Forster said to us, "It was not a facade." These blokes, particularly in Brisbane, that he was cutting around. You know, there were punch-ons, there were piss-ups, there were. It was absolutely wild. 20-year-olds yeah. still go to pubs. What do you think that was? Why do you think they were just that more tapped back then? Do you think it was Australia was a wilder place? Do you think maybe a lot of these people have kind of emerged into a middle class? or what? Well, Robert what? Foster's talking about Brisbane yeah. pretty much. You know, it was As I said, it was you're very – the fact that you weren't wearing flares and didn't yeah. have a mullet and, yeah. you know, like was offensive to people. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. very – the very very way you were presenting yourself to the world, yeah, was like, ugh. and then it was, you know, then they then they all heard, oh, you, these are punks, aren't they? You, are you punk? 
Yeah. yeah. But to tell the truth, I got bashed on the train before I was a punk. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like if you were alone on a train in Brisbane and you know five guys got on, you you were going to cop it. Yeah. So like it wasn't just because I in my punk days, it, it happened before my punk days. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> so uh, Brisbane was a different place. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure better now. Yeah, I mean, aside from like, you know, the, those kind of undertones, like political and ideological undertones that you kind of dealt with. And I know I know every city had those, you know, those crowds and that kind of obnoxious. And I know Brisbane was probably one of the toughest ones under Joe. But even the crowds and, the, you know, you hear about the painters and dockers gigs in Melbourne or you hear about, you know, some of those things that were happening at the North Bondi diggers. Like what, what has happened, do you think, in the crowds, particularly young crowds? What, why was it? Was it because a lot of these people were the sons of, sons and daughters of, Servicemen, why were people so much more wild on the piss back then? Yeah, it's it's hard to say, but well, come to think of it, um, when I moved to Sydney, as I say, it was it was an absolute golden era of you know, in the early eighties, musically and culturally, from my perspective. But looking back on it, there was you know also you know uh, there were plenty of skinheads around. So like that, you know, and I haven't seen skinheads since nineteen eighty. Yeah. Six, but I remember the last gig uh, we played support to a band called the Anti Nowhere League, and uh, yeah, there was about you know three hundred skins there, and um, I really wonder what happened to those guys, yeah. you know, like because they were so committed to that whole thing. I, I guess, I guess it's easy to to not be a skin. You just let your hair grow and stop wearing. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're all being arrested. They're all being arrested for historic crimes nowadays in Sydney. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah they've well, got a couple the other day. The, well, yeah, the, I remember the, the, the leader of the skins was a bloke called the Skull. Jesus, I remember. Uh, I remember being spat on by the Skull in uh, Pitt Street. I just, I was just walking along my own business, and then there was the Skull, and mm. then he just noticed. <laughs> uh, thank you, sir. I mean, there probably is the argument there that the skins all fucking made a bit of money in the construction housing boom and kind of gave up those beliefs and sat at home with a big television. Yeah, well, I guess you can only, the only way is uh, to know that anyone was a skin is if they still had the, the tattoos. Mm. You know? but, but yeah, it's hard. To, I don't know why that was. It was it was a cultural clash. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, people just were really annoyed that you weren't like them. Yeah. And I guess we're, it was a sort of the working class against itself. Yeah. You know, like, because like, we are, you know, it wasn't like, you know, one class looking down on another. It was the working class, different sections of, you know, the lower, you know, parts of society and uh, going at each other. Tex, I wanted to ask a question that's a bit left field, not music related. We busted a myth there before. It turned out it was true. The <laughs> bottle, the blood, all that sort of stuff. I want to ask about Zone Ball. I heard whispers <laughs> about this game called Zone Ball that Tex Perkins got up and running. Where are we at yeah. with Zone Ball and how would you describe it to the good people listening to our podcast? Okay. Well, the cruel scene mainly, uh, we used to um, travel around with a football and just for a bit of exercise, we would you know, find half an hour or whatever, you know, in the day to just get a bit of exercise and it was our preferred form of exercise just get out and have yeah. a kick <laughs> then we then we would uh sometimes have a kick inside the venue you know like <laughs> before the crowd 
uh, before sound <laughs> and therefore you know we, it was a smaller space so yep. we would kick it to each other and then okay let's make this more interesting let's let's only mark one handed and then so we're, so we're kicking sort of you know in a short space like 15 meters away from each other and and then we just started to put rules around you know that thing and then we we would define a space you know like and and there's then slowly we kind of formed this and then I eventually put a name on it and it was called zone ball and it was uh, I guess it was a it was kind of like tennis but <laughs> yeah think, footy what, tennis that's what I'm getting it I remember like, playing as a kid like it, it serves to the other you know yeah. to the other, and you have to you have to make it difficult for him to to, to mark yeah. it's a one-handed so you're either doing little drop shots or bombs or you know kind of like a scud serve you mm. know, like a, and um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> unfortunately, oh, fortunately, it uh, somebody <laughs> put it in Wikipedia, and that's why you're asking me this question. Yes, yeah, I saw it. Well, we um... I a few years now, but uh, it 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 gained legitimacy when uh, a mate of mine is uh, Robert Murphy, Bob Murphy, the yeah, he played for the Western Bulldogs, and so he's played the zone ball, and he's a big fan of zone ball, and we used to we used to meet up and. And a bunch of us would would play in in the park in Melbourne, and um, so the, uh, kind of that. I guess that was the uh, the peak of its legitimacy. And and he Bob was real, when you got real footy players playing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real footy players playing it. Nick Kyrgios uh, and pickleball kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's a great game. I actually, this could be a really good uh, you know, training you know, alternative. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, to tell the truth, I haven't played zone ball. For, well, for quite a- zone ball's thirty years. Oh, this is the thirty-year anniversary of zone ball too, I guess. No, <laughs> it's probably around the uh, maybe maybe twentieth. Were the venue staff at the various places you were playing? Were they particularly keen on zone ball with a footy getting kicked around inside while they're trying to set up? No, they never got involved. <laughs> I would. We wouldn't do it uh, anywhere that was uh, going to destroy. Um, yeah, we didn't. We didn't break anything. Now you, um, we'd love to sit down uh, with you and and do a long form, maybe two three parter with you, Texas. So we much we can go over. But I just want to ask. Lastly, the thirtieth anniversary of the landmark album, the honeymoon is over. What does this album mean to you? Well, I guess it's the reason that I have the career that I always really wanted which is just to be a working musician mm-hmm. i mean and not not have to worry about uh, charting and uh, all that stuff because that's happened it's kind of the success of the honeymoon is over especially you gave, gave me the profile that allowed me to have the career that i have for yeah. you know for the last you know 30 years since it and um yeah it's uh it set me up quite well it gave I mean, you the stripes to just do whatever you wanted, uh, you know. And, uh, I mean, it gave me the profile that you know, and uh, to work in Australia and overseas, and, um, and it, it continues today. And um, but also, the, the, I think the um, the reason of my for my longevity is my my ability and my willingness to do lots of different things. And um, I haven't. Put all my eggs in the one basket, and, you know, if I can say, well, I've only got, I've got more than one trick. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what we were asking at the start too. The to remain unpigeonholed after a forty-two year yeah. career. Yeah. Well, also it keeps me interested too. Like things, I work with different people, and it's 
I don't know, it's all a blessing to me. It's all it's all thrilling and it's all interesting. So hopefully that uh, yeah, that is conveyed to the audience as well. My well, it brought you the arias too. Even we we, we, don't, we don't have time to get to that yarn. We we do realise an aria got stolen at the after party and and and. Uh... Stolen. I left it behind. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get it in the morning. I'm too flogged. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I won the thing, so what? I don't need it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, Tex, and all the best thanks. with uh, with the tour. What, 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 what venues are we looking at here? We're going. We're down in Brunswick. Um, we got the Memo oh, Music that's... Hall in St Kilda. Bird's Basement, Melbourne, Brunswick Ballroom. That's the one in Brunswick. That's a ripper venue. The yeah. old my other, my other, my, my my current band, the Fat Rubber Band, is uh, doing some gigs. Uh, at start with uh, in about four weeks. One's at uh, the Memo uh, Music Hall in St Kilda, and the other ones at the Brunswick Ballroom in uh, Brunswick. Yeah, yeah. The, that's a great old venue. That one. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thanks for Tex. joining us, Tex. And um, yeah, all the best. And we'll do it again. Let's do it for sure. Yeah, we'll go top to bottom. We'll go Tex Deadly. That's where we'll start. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you. All right, mate. See you.